And we're about halfway through our series on the Lord's Prayer, and today we are talking about the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And that seems simple enough, right? Like, okay, we're going to pray for daily bread, and then God's presumably going to give us some bread, and now we can all go home early because we solved it, right? Well, it's not quite that simple. Um... Because we're not just talking about bread here, and we're going to talk more about what that means. But before we start to talk about that, let's read the Lord's Prayer together. So if you would read this with me. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, if you've been following along in this series, or if you've just been reading this for the first time, we have already gone through the first few lines of the prayer. We've done our Father in heaven. We've heard about hallowed be your name and what that means. And we've also listened about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And up until now, the prayer has been about what commentators call God's cause, the Father's cause, things that he is interested in, things that he has to do in order for them to happen. And so today we shift from the your pronoun, hallow your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, to our. And we start to make requests about God here. And I bet this is why most of us actually pray. Like, we're like, okay, um, I'm here for this. This is what we came to hear. I'm, I'm happy to pray through the first three lines but um, about all the other stuff. But usually I, I just come for the, like, God, I need this, and I need this, and I need this, and this is the list of the things that I need. And so when we talk about needs, we're also talking about wants as well. But we kind of speed through the first three lines to get to give us this day our daily bread. And it's like, God... This is what I need from you. And we unload all of our laundry list on him of what we need. And maybe we call it daily bread just to maybe sound a little bit holier. You know, like, oh, God, give me my daily bread. But here's the things. Um, But what are we really praying about? What are we really asking for when we talk about give us this day our daily bread when we pray that prayer? Well, let's first talk about the word daily. We all know what that means, right? Anyone want to shout that out for me? Every day. Yes. Um, and so it's not some days, it's not once a week, it's not once a month, it's every day. We need God to give us our daily bread every day. That means that we're dependent on him. And it's about daily bread um, for every day. It's about give, God providing for us every day. And Jesus talking about asking for daily bread would have immediately reminded the Israelites about their ancestors wandering in the wilderness. And about how God sent them bread every day, and they called that bread manna. And this happens after God takes the Israelites out of slavery. And and they were in Egypt, they're in slavery, and then they're wandering in in the wilderness, in the desert. And they're on their way to the promised land. But in the meantime, they're hungry. And they seemingly weren't finding enough food in the wilderness. Because they start to, like, get grumpy. They start to get hangry. We heard about that recently from Pastor Charlie. Um, (laughs) But uh, they start to get hangry. And so they're like, oh, like, we're so hungry. Like, we're not getting enough food. 
And some of them were even at the point of being like, maybe slavery in Egypt wasn't even that bad. Like, that's hangry. I don't know if you've ever been at that level of hangry, but when you're thinking about going back into slavery so that you think you can eat, you know, maybe they should just go back. And so God tells Moses that he has a plan to meet their needs. He's going to send them bread and quail to eat every day. But he had some special instructions for them as well. So he allowed them to have what each person needed for the day. So let's read about that in Exodus 16, 14, starting in 14. When the dew was gone, thick flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And this is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person that you have in your tent. And so the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered as much as they needed. And then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. So when I read stuff like this, I'm like, what's an omer? Anyone know what an omer is? How much an omer is? Well, um, good news. I Googled it. Um, My friend Google helped me. And so this is the first thing that it said about what an omer is, guys. I love this fact. An omer is equivalent to the volume of 43.2 chicken eggs. It's a really helpful unit of measurement. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) I, I like, I don't look at measurements very often aside from converting like kilometers into miles or whatever. But I was like, this is the weirdest. This has got to be the weirdest equivalent I've ever heard of. Um, But if we want to talk about how much that is in weight, it's between 3.4 and 3.6 pounds. So hopefully that's a little bit more helpful. Um, It's not exact because we don't have modern, like, uh, consensus on what an omer actually is, because that's an ancient term. Um, But the point is that everyone was to take an omer each of food for the day. And when you're thinking about, like, almost four pounds of food, four pounds of bread, I feel like that's a good amount. When I was growing up, I don't know, like, I've heard this, I'd heard this story a million times, and I don't know if I really considered it, but I was like, I don't know what I thought about, like, how much food that actually was. Like, maybe I was thinking, like, oh, they got, like, a few pieces of bread per day, or per meal, per person, per day. Um, didn't sound like too much to me, but this actually sounds like a lot of food. And maybe I'm wrong, but it sounds like a lot of food. And so God gave them that every day. And then in the evening, he gave them quail as well. And uh, he gave them what they needed. But some of the Israelites got a little greedy. And they were like, we want a little more than what we need. And so we read in verse 20, after Moses says, don't keep any until morning, we read, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. Anyone ever dealt with maggot riddled food I have it's not fun and so they had to go back to collecting what they needed for that day and nothing more except the day before the the Sabbath when they were supposed to rest on the Sabbath they uh they were allowed to collect two days worth because that was going to help them rest they weren't gonna have to uh, collect their food And so the disciples and the people that were hearing Jesus speak on prayer and teach on this line of the prayer would have been thinking about that. But what about us? Because a lot of us, like we can can buy groceries for the week, you know, 
the only thing we have to think about is our grocery list and maybe our meal plan if that's how you roll. But what does this prayer mean for us? What, is, what does our daily bread mean? Well, Dr. Daryl Johnson says that there are six layers of meaning in what daily bread means. And so I want to I talk through them with you. The first one is obviously physical bread. The things that we need to, to eat in order to function and to survive as human beings. That's how God designed us. And we've covered that already. The second one is asking God to give us everything necessary for functioning in this world. So that's like the weather to make the crops actually grow. You know, that God would sustain the whole process of planting the seed in the ground and letting it germinate. And, and uh, I can't remember the word, <laughs> but feeding it, that's, yeah. Um, I'm a plant mom, I can't remember, I can't remember that word. Um, asking God to sustain that whole process, though, from germination to growth to harvest to the point where the bread gets placed on our table. We need God to take care of that. We cannot make that happen. And so we, we need God to give us our daily bread and make that process happen. The third layer of our daily bread is asking God to give us everything we need for living the kingdom life. Now you might be like, what, how did you get to kingdom from bread? Well, in the Bible, um, kingdom, or the kingdom of God is often used, uh, as the, sim- the symbol of bread is often used to describe the kingdom of God. And so throughout the Bible, bread is used as a theme in the lives of God's people as what he's doing for them. And so in Exodus, God calls his people out of slavery and out of poverty to a land flowing with milk and honey that he's already um, prepared for them. And we've already read that he gives them bread from, he- from heaven on their way. And in Isaiah 25, 6, it says, On this mountain, the Lord God Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats, and the finest of wines. In Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And if you skip down a little bit, it says, He prepares a table before before me in the presence of my enemies. And when you look at the life of Jesus, he's always eating meals with people, coming from a meal, going to a, to a meal. He's also ensuring that people are fed. You know, we know the story that Jesus fed the 5,000 people, 5,000 plus, with five loaves and two fishes. And how there was like 12 baskets of food left over. Because there was more than enough for everyone. And he tells parables about eating bread. And he compares the kingdom of God to a banquet in Matthew 8 where he says, Many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so just like the daily bread reminds the disciples about the past provision from God, it's meant to remind us about a future provision from God, one that is coming. And of course, this prayer um, is is prayed right after we say your kingdom come so that's kind of a cool connection you know jesus commanded to seek his kingdom first and we don't do that naturally i mean at least i don't do that naturally and so we need god to keep our vision clear to seek that kingdom to help us to keep our hearts set on him and his kingdom we need courage to follow the kingdom way Because living the kingdom life takes wisdom, it takes courage, it takes strength and patience and holiness and vision, and we can't do that on our own. So we need God to provide that for us as well. And fourth, it means asking God to give us the resources of the Holy Spirit. 
When Jesus was tempted by the devil to turn rocks into bread because he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and he was pretty hungry, Jesus' response is to quote Deuteronomy 8.3 where Moses tells the Israelites that God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It's the spirit who empowers this kingdom life that we are to live. It's a spirit who illuminates the words of the scripture in our hearts, in our minds, so that we can truly find life in them and find that sustenance. In John 6, uh, 63, Jesus is teaching some stuff about him. He's teaching some hard truths, and, and this is what he says. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. And so we need the spirit to do that, to work that in us. And the fifth layer of meaning is asking God to give us Jesus himself. Earlier in John 6, in verses 48 to 51, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and whoever eats this bread will live forever. And Jesus was born in a town called Bethlehem, and I don't know if you know this, but Bethlehem means house of bread. He's more than, than we could ever need. He's what we need most. He's, he's what we need more than anything else. And he is what will satisfy our soul's hunger. And finally, the sixth layer of meaning is asking God for bread for the coming day. And this is talking about the day when the kingdom of heaven will come in its fullness on earth, the day that we are waiting for. And and Daryl Johnson prays it like this, Father, give us today the bread we will enjoy in your fully realized kingdom. Give us today the daily delicious bread of peace, joy, and rest. And so we do have moments where we experience and taste this bread. And we can look at the world and we can see that we need to taste more of it and the world needs to taste more of it. And so according to Jesus, this is the kind of prayer that we are to be praying because it's the kind of prayer that pleases the Father. Jesus modeled it for us in this passage. Just going through the Gospel of Luke, we can see Jesus praying for his daily bread a whole bunch of times. So I'm just going to list them for you quickly. Luke 3.21, he prays at his baptism. Luke 4, he prayed through temptation. In Luke 5, he was praying to connect with God when things got really busy. In Luke 6, he prayed before making the big decision of choosing his disciples. In Luke 9, he prayed before the pivotal moment where he asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And also in Luke 9, he prayed for his disciples after they declared him to be Lord because then their lives were endangered by making that declaration. In Luke 11, he was praying right before he taught his disciples how to pray, which is the prayer we're looking at now. In Luke 22, Jesus promises to pray for Peter because Peter is about to be tried in his faith. And so Jesus promises to pray for him. He commands his disciples to pray so they won't fall into temptation. And then he prays for deliverance from death. And in Luke 23, he prays as he draws his last breath. And so we don't know 
specifically what Jesus was praying for in each of these instances of, of his prayer. But what I do want us to see from his example is that prayer was the thing for him, and, and he modeled that. We know that because his disciples did not ask him, Lord, teach us to lead. Lord, teach us to, pr- to preach. Lord, teach us to do miracles. Their question was, Lord, how do we pray? Because they could see that prayer was the source of Jesus' power. It was how he connected to God. It was how he stayed connected with God. And it was important in his life. And so when you look at that standard of Jesus and connecting to God and and prayer being the thing, when we look at that standard, how do we feel like we measure up? If we look at our own prayer lives, is prayer that important to you? Jesus was constantly withdrawing to pray and constantly praying through hard times and through good times. And the prayer, is prayer just like a supplemental thing in our lives? Or can people actually tell that prayer is the thing that connects us to God? If you're sitting in in your seat right now and you're squirming a little, that's okay. I want you to know that you're not alone. And Jesus wants us to know what it is to connect with our God in prayer. And so this is why we're looking at this prayer and specifically our daily bread today. We're going to learn how to connect with God. Because here's the thing. Jesus didn't say this is what you should pray at the beginning of this this passage. What's the word he uses? How. He says this then is how you should pray. And I find that very interesting. You know, we often look at this prayer and we're like, okay, this is the magical combination of things that we need to pray in order to get what we want out of God. In order to see our prayers answered, we have to, like, do these things, pray these things. And as I said before, we often just speed through the first three lines to get to the place where we're like, okay, now we can get to the good stuff because this is where we get stuff, right? So, like, okay, we're, 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 we're cooking now. Um, I listened to a podcast this week, and there was a pastor being interviewed, and he was talking about prayer, and he was comparing it to uh, having a phone call with God. And he's like, often, I'm tempted to, like, pick up the phone, scream my request into the phone, hang up, and then be like, okay, I got to go along with my busy day, you know? And he's, so he's like, that's my temptation, like, literally every day. And I'm, I'm sitting there listening to it, and I'm like, accurate. Like, I also am tempted in that way. And sometimes I do end up praying that way. And then I'm like, what am I doing? But in teaching us to pray, Jesus focuses on the how. He shows us a heart posture that we are to pray in. And that is a posture of dependence on God. When we take a step back and we look at the layers of meaning in our daily bread, that it's physical bread, it's everything necessary for the functioning world, it's everything necessary for living the kingdom, it's the resources of the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus himself, and it's tasting of God's coming kingdom, we can easily see that we cannot make any of these things happen on our own. But do we live that way? You know, many of us can put food on the tables for our people, and we have more food in our fridge, you know, for the week or maybe even beyond um, in our fridges, in our, in, our, in our cupboards. And we can do that. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread, we're like, why do we need to? We already have that. And because we're blessed in this way, we become tempted and become, become prone to being self-sufficient to not needing God. And we have to fight against that in our lives because we don't realize our absolute need for God. And when we don't realize that, that is when we stop praying. 
or just come to God and say, here's my list of stuff for the day. See you next time. But realizing that daily bread goes so far beyond that puts a different perspective on it. There's a Trappist monk named Thomas Merton who wrote that prayer is an expression of who we are. We are living in completeness. We are a gap, an emptiness that calls for fulfillment. At the surface level, that's hard to reconcile in our lives because it looks like we have such abundance. But if we go even a millimeter below the surface, we know this to be true in our lives. So many of us are searching for something that only God can give us. So many of us are trying to get things, trying to hold on to things, and looking for peop- to people and other, pe- and other things. Yes, even Christians do this, to find the affirmation and the love and the approval and the comfort and the fulfillment and the distraction and so many other things that we need to look to Jesus for. The bread of life. Because then, when we do, we will never hunger again. And yet, we very rarely pray for that kind of daily bread. Paul Miller wrote a book called The Praying Life. And in it, he says, if you are not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy to pray. But if, like Jesus, you realize you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will find the time. This is why the first three lines of the Lord's Prayer actually exist, and we can't skip over them. We can't just pick up the phone, yell our requests, and hang up, because that leads to prayerlessness. And because we aren't, and that prayerlessness happens because we aren't seeing the answers to prayer that we would like to in our lives. And so we lose hope, and we stop praying, and it's because uh, what's the point if God's just going to do what he wants to do anyway? I've had that question asked to me recently. Tim Keller says that you won't understand how prayer works unless you understand, give us this day our daily bread in the context of the prayers that surround it. Asking God for things, what we call petitionary prayer, does, does change things. If we, if we do it and if we're committed to it, but only if you understand the instructions Jesus gave on how we are to pray. And so let's review a little bit. Our Father in heaven, this is who we're coming to. We're coming to our Father in heaven. God is our loving Father who, in, in the Bible, in many places, it says, whatever you ask in my name, I will give it to you. In James 1, it says, every good and perfect gift is from God our Father. In Psalm 84:11, it says, no good thing will he withhold from us. In, Psalm, in Isaiah 65, God's speaking, and he says, before they call, I will answer. He wants his kids to ask him for good things because then he wants to have the joy and make it that much sweeter when he gives it to them. God wants to bless us through prayer. He wants to give us things through prayer, and he will do it. And so this is who we're praying to. This is, this is God our Father. But James also says that we do not have because we do not ask. Because sometimes we lose sight of what's important. We lose sight of who we're praying to. We turn our attention to ourselves. And then we're like, I'm not getting what I want. And so you might be sitting here and being like, but Cheryl, I am praying. I am praying so hard for some things. And I, um, I ask God all the time and he doesn't, he hasn't done it. 
Well, let's keep looking in the, at the prayer because I get that. The next line of the prayer is, hallowed be your name. And that means bringing glory to God's name. And we're incapable of doing that. And God needs to do that through us. And so God, our Father, he is the main character in this story that we're living. We live and, and think as if we are the main character a lot. But he is the main character in this story. And we're created to worship him and enjoy him forever. And if we haven't accepted that, then we need to have a perspective shift in our hearts. Because we're probably going to ask for the wrong things when we pray. And so when we come to the the line of the Lord's prayer, asking God to glorify his name, we are also proclaiming adoration for him. And and that adjusts our perspective. Because when we're talking to God about his greatness and his love and his, his grace and his goodness, and in him are all things that we need, then we see where we might be off center in our own lives and in our own hearts. And we see how we might be orienting our lives around things that we shouldn't be. When God is the person we should be oriented around. And so rather than worrying because we've chosen to trust in our own wisdom about a situation or despair because we believe that something that we aren't getting is more important than having God, when we spend time adoring him, we get to the place where we can say, Lord, I'm worried and I need your help and I'm afraid and I need you to be my peace. And it reorients us to the right perspective and it reminds us of who he is because we're pretty forgetful sometimes, at least I am. And so your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is the next line. And this prayer takes our eyes off of what we want and puts them on God's kingdom priorities. His kingdom is marked by the fact that there will be no more crying, pain, tears, or death. And that is something that we so desperately want, isn't it? It's what we need in this world. This is what he's doing on earth right now. He's working to bring that kingdom closer and closer to being a full, 100% reality. And so when we're bringing requests to God, we, we must do so with a heart posture that focuses on God as our Father. And that focuses on adoring him. And ask him to make his name great on earth. And ask him to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And trusting in his wisdom because this puts our hearts in the right posture before him. And then we can turn to our needs. And we can pray this way and not have our prayers answered still, at least not in the way we think. But when we experience disappointment in in prayer, I want us to remember this. It feels like a contradiction that the Bible says a bunch of times, ask anything in my name and I will give it to you. And then we do that and we don't see those answers. That feels like a contradiction. But Tim Keller says it's only a contradiction if our tendency in prayer is to see God as a genie and not as our father. He explains it like this. Good parents respond to unreasonable requests from their their children by discerning what's underneath that request and meeting that need. So I'm not a parent, but I have a niece and six nephews, and I hang out with them a lot. And when I was playing last week with my 11-month-old nephew named Tom, uh, sometimes his idea of fun is climbing the stairs, even though he like, just started walking a week ago. Um, or he, I'm, if I hold him at the table, he's always reaching for knives. I don't know why he's always reaching for the knives. And he's just, that's what he does. And so I'm a good auntie, I like to think. And so I redirect him. Um, and he, I know that he, like, he just wants to play and explore. That's what, he, that's what he's supposed to be doing at that age. And so we'll find something else to do that meets that need. 
and doesn't involve knives or falling down the stairs. Um, and I know parents have to do that far more than I do as an auntie, but God does that even more than parents. And if you look at the heroes of the Bible, you see that they prayed a lot of things that God answered in much different ways than they probably expected. You know, the disciples found themselves twice, at least twice, on a lake, in a boat, in a storm, terrified for their lives. And both times they asked Jesus to rescue them. And one time Jesus stood up and calmed the waves. And then they sailed on. But the other time, he gave them the ability to walk on those waves. And the Apostle Paul had a thorn in his side, and he said he prayed for it to be removed three times. And we don't know what it was, but we do know that it was something that he felt was preventing him from fully living out his mission that God had given him, that it was not making him effective for the gospel or not allowing him to be effective for the gospel. And so he prayed for God to take it away. It's a very natural request. But God didn't take it away. Instead, what he told Paul is, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so he gave Paul what he needed to be effective for the gospel, to be effective in his mission, but he didn't answer Paul's prayer the way Paul thought he would. And then there's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, desperately praying to be delivered from death, from having to endure the torture that he knew was coming. And Hebrews 5.7 says his cries were heard. But didn't he die? How were his cries heard? It looks like God turned him down. But God was there. He heard Jesus. And he brought resurrection out of that prayer request. Not just avoidance of death. And because... Jesus submitted to God's will and trusted in his Father and lived for his glory and participated in his kingdom. We also get to experience that resurrection. And so we, before we jump to asking God for our daily bread, we now need to lead, allow Jesus' example and, and really pray for the first three lines, allowing them to reorient our hearts and submit to his will. You know, I've prayed for a lot of, a lot of things in my life. Um, and some I've seen answers to, some I haven't. And out of those ones that I haven't seen answers to, some of them I'm like, yeah, good call, God. Like, smart. He knew more than I did. Some of them I'm still confused about, and I know that I'm not alone. I know that there are people here who are also in that position. And I know that many of you are laboring over prayer needs, over desires of your heart. And my message to you is God knows and he's a good father. He's working. And it might not look like he is. Um, and it might not look like the way that we thought it was going to look when he answers those prayers. But the more we see God through the lens of the first three lines of this prayer, the more we see our need for God, and the more we will see his provision. In 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is the God that we're praying to. He cares for us. Don't let the fact that you're not seeing unanswered prayer discourage you from praying, 
even if you're not seeing the results. Discourage you from relying on God, even though it's hard. Discourage you from throwing yourself and all of your anxiety at the feet of Jesus. Because this is the, the spiritual posture that Jesus talks about. This is what he teaches us. You know, I find myself in this posture quite often. Because doing a master's and working and trying to be a person is, is a lot. And, you know, like last week I deleted a paper the night it was due. And I was almost done. I had to start over again. And it's like, well, the struggle is real, friends. I still got an A plus on that one. But um, that, was, that was totally God. <laughs> so, but I often start my day going, God, I can't do it today. You're going to have to do it for me. <laughs> The option is, is not there to just stay in bed. Even today I was saying that to God. You're going to have to do this. Because I don't know why, but I was just sitting on my bed staring at the floor for like a half an hour. And I was like, mm, there goes my rehearsal time. But God is faithful. And so don't be afraid of your desperation. Because every time I pray that prayer, he comes through for me. And every time you pray that prayer, he will come through for you. He is our father. He can more than handle it. So let it fuel your prayers. Just don't get to the daily bread part too quickly. I want to say one last thing before I bring Pastor Charlie up. Um, and I just want to draw attention to the pronouns that are used in this prayer. Because Jesus teaches us to say, give us this day our daily bread. Not give me today my daily bread. This prayer is not about me. It's not about you doesn't mean God's not interested in our lives. He is. But it's, it's bigger than us. We cannot pray this prayer and then be self-centered in how we live. Because this prayer is about the family of God. And so this is a call from Jesus to remember our brothers and sisters in Christ here and around the world who are struggling to pray on their behalf. Give us this day our daily bread. I don't need to convince you that there are many needs around the world. The wars that are happening, the weather events that keep destroying entire countries. We need to be praying for, on behalf of those people, give us this day our daily bread. And then considering what God might be calling us to, to be a part of bringing daily bread to those people. And to be bringing his kingdom. We are so blessed in Canada. We have an abundance and as I was preparing for the sermon, I came across a Latin American prayer that I think fits here, and I'm going to close with this. It's really short. So let me pray this. Oh God, to those who have hunger, give bread. And to those who have bread, give the hunger for justice. Amen. All right, friends, now's the time that we uh, have a little uh, Q&A. If you don't know how it works, save that number in your phone. You can always text questions during the sermons. But uh, is, is there any questions in the room? Raise your hand if there is. We got someone running around with a mic. This is just a, something we do to make church a little more interactive. There is a hand over there. Can't see who it is because um, the light is in my eyes. But uh, um, I think it's Megan. But... Um, yeah, this is something we do, before the question comes, this is something we do to make church a little more interactive. 
But what we really do to make church more interactive is what we do on Wednesday nights. And what Cheryl was talking about at the end, uh, give us our daily bread, like this we thing. Uh, one of the things that we do every Wednesday night, uh, the second half, the first half, we, we eat together in the other room. And that is just hanging out and eating together. But then we come in here and there's some like, if you don't know how it works, there's kind of like discussion things on the board and kind of people are in groups. But something that we always do in these groups is uh, towards the end, there's an opportunity where people can just share anything going on in their life that they need prayer for. Um, weren't we just talking about this in your office like this morning? Yeah. <laughs> like there's something special that happens like when together like... Yeah, we, we, when we pray alone, we're like, okay, I prayed. But then when we pray with people, there's something like more impactful, I find. And you were saying the same thing. And I think it speaks to the, um, the way that we are meant to do faith and grow in our, in our faith in community. Yeah. With each other. And so we do that on Wednesdays. It's, it's, it's true. I don't know why it is. It's like I can pray by myself and God hears and I know that. But if I'm like praying with someone else, I'm like, God, I need you to help us with this. There's almost like, for me, there's a sense of like, there's a witness now, God. <laughs> I asked, you know it, she heard it. <laughs> there's just this feeling of like, we prayed and God heard it. And uh, yep. anyways, okay, Megan, you're up. Charlie's recently preached on like crying out to God and like bringing your request to him. Um, but how do you reconcile the way that we pray that Cheryl, Cheryl talked about today um, with also the crying out to God when you need it? I mean, Jesus also cried out to God, um, why have you forsaken me on the cross? Um, I, I believe that some of the things that he was, you know, the, some of the times that he was praying, he was probably crying out to God. He was maybe saying the same thing as me, I can't do it today, you're going to have to do it for me, you know. It, it's, um, God doesn't say not to do that. And as I was reading um, up on prayer, there's a lot more than I couldn't say today. But um, as I was reading up on prayer, like, there's a lot to be said for, like, continually bringing things towards to, uh, in front of God and you know God is he's saying like pound on the door and ask me for bread you know there's there's that parable that Jesus was saying and uh, we are we are encouraged to do that and to come to him constantly with our requests so it was how do you reconcile crying out to God with with uh, I missed the second part how do you reconcile crying out to God with praying in this way like with praying for our daily bread. I think it's both. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. A lot of times it's like, yeah, they totally go together. Or it's like, God, I need you to just help me get through today. It's a daily crying out. Um, is there anything else in the room? I don't know. The text line is not too active not this morning. Today. Anything else? Oh, oh yep, there's right in the middle back. Comment you were talking about, you get a sense of a different sense when you pray with more people. Well, the Bible tells us that if two or three gather in, in his name, that he will be in our midst. So when you pray alone, he hears us. But when we pray as a group, he's right there with us. So we feel this presence, which is more intense. Yeah, you said that this morning. Yeah, it's, it's totally true. It's totally true. Something about God, this is important. God wants to show himself. And one of the big ways that he shows himself, I talked about this last week, 
is when we cry out to him and he answers. So if you are together crying out to him, like together, like we all ask God this together, it kind of paves the way for him to show himself more because now there's, you've created a situation where multiple people are waiting on me to do something and it is, it is God's style to show himself. And I think the thing about Wednesdays is not just that, you know, I'm praying and someone's listening to me pray, but we, we share what's going on in our lives so that we can then pray for each other, not only that night, but throughout the week. And so that's also a powerful thing where we pray on behalf of each other, give us our day, our daily bread. Yep. 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 Anything else in here? Roger. Uh Uh-oh. Here we go. Be nice, Roger. No, I'm just kidding. If it starts going off the rails, just kill the mic. <laughs> I was praying to win a million dollars. It didn't happen. No, I'm just kidding. You need so, to change your heart posture. Check your heart, fine. Roger. What, what, what do you tell people when they come to you and say, and tell them, look, you know, we need to pray for peace and love and and we see all this suffering happening in the world and they tell me where's God when we need him we've been praying and he's not answering look at the dying kids dying people how do you explain that I mean it doesn't mean God's not there I think the things that break our hearts break his heart even more and there's there's an element of God, like there's sin in the world. And so God is allowing that to happen for a time. It's not going to be for the forever because his kingdom is coming and his kingdom has no more fear or dying or crying or pain. And that's really hard for us to swallow because we don't understand everything that God understands. We don't know everything that God knows. But in times like that, I often try to tell my emotions tell how I'm feeling what I know to be true because sometimes our emotions make it feel like, you know, this is never going to happen. But um, I, I try to remind myself of the things that I know to be true about God, that I know to be true from his word so that I can remember those in, in that time when I'm feeling really upset about what's going on. I know that's an incomplete answer, <laughs> but it's the one I have. Uh. So the question is, when you look at the world and you see all the hardship, what's the point of praying if God is not going to respond? That's the question. What's the point of praying? God doesn't answer prayers. What's the point? You know something that really just occurred to me when Cheryl was preaching? I thought about that. Do you know who says that? Do you know who says, what's the point of praying? What's the point of praying? You know who says that? People who don't pray. (laughs) Do you understand that? Because people who do pray know that God answers prayers. They know that God is faithful. Maybe I don't know why he didn't do that thing that I asked for. Maybe I don't know why he's doing what he's doing right now in the Middle East right now. Maybe I don't have those questions answered. But here's something I know for sure. Our God answers prayers because I've walked this walk. I've asked, give me your daily bread. I've received daily bread. I've experienced him. People who say God doesn't answer prayers, they don't pray. And people who pray knows that God answers prayers. So 
Sorry. I, that was just building up in me when Cheryl was talking. So if Sermon that just came 0. out with a little bit of fire, you're just going to have to just, <laughs> sorry about that. It's all good. It's all good.